turn today to Ephesians, but what I'm going to do today is just read some of Ephesians 2 and hopefully some of 3, and as I go, I'm going to stop and comment on these verses. The Lord, I believe, He wants us to direct our life and direct our heart to Him, and a lot of Paul's teaching uh, is more of an in-depth teaching, but he, he starts up with some of the, the basic things, where we started, where we were, and then from there he begins to move into other things. And in chapter 2, now I taught something in this, in this chapter before, but I just want to read down through this and hopefully move on to chapter 3. But he begins in verse 1, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So you, myself, we were born with a sinful nature, and that's how we moved, that's how we functioned, that's you know, who we were. And the Lord came to you somehow, some way, maybe when you were very young, or maybe when you were an adult, and you came out from where you were. Now, physically you didn't, but spiritually you did. You came out from where you were, and you experienced this life. He made you alive. Those of us who were dead in trespasses and sin, he made us alive in Christ. Verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course uh, of this world, or according to the supernatural forces that are, are at play in the world. So that when you look at all the legislative bodies across the world, you see the Senate, you see the Parliament. In other countries, there's parliaments and there's assemblies and um, there's Senates, whatever they have in other countries. Uh, they meet many times to try to solve the problems that they, they're facing as a country and so on. But man will never be able to solve the problems of the world because man does not see the root or the source of a lot of the problems and the murder, the stealing, the, 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 um, uh, all, all this evil, uh, the bribery, all this that goes on uh, in the world, uh, you know, the lying, the cheating, all that. They don't see the source of that, and you cannot legislate godliness. You cannot. So, for example, the framers of, of this country, many of them were godly men, and that became their source, and they, they uh, set up a constitution and so on based upon certain principles. But once those principles are broken down, then the laws are interpreted a different way as we see today. So man will not be able to solve his own problems because he does not really see the source of the murder and the hatred and all that. And so he says here that you once walked according to the course uh, of, of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So the word works there. Now, I, I pronounce phonetically 
the Greek word, but, but just throwing this out there for you, but that's not actually how it's pronounced in the Greek, but for our purposes, it's energio. And there are various words that come out from uh, uh, energy, energy, energio. There's another, there's another root word. I don't forget what, what it is, but these words come out from it. So we walked according, we once walked according to the course of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works, and that's, that's a present participle. It's, it's a present thing, it's a continual thing in this age. This is an energy that is uh, sent forth, if you will. It's an energy that comes out from the spirits of darkness to energize men to pursue anything and everything other than God. Pleasures, uh, success in business, money, homes, whatever it may be. There's, there's an energy behind that, and you can see how people many times, they, they move in that, and they'll work 18 hours a day. There's an individual who just told me that they had worked four days for years, four days a week, and they worked 65 hours. So what's that, like 16 hours a day? And they did this for 10, 15 years? See, there's, a, there's an ener energy that touches a person and causes them to move in this human energy to function and, and meet some purpose. Many times it's a purpose of the heart that is going directly contrary to the Spirit of God and the purpose of God. So he says here that we once, all of us, walked according to the course of the world and the Spirit that now works in the Son's of disobedience. See, there's, there's, there's more to that. We'll just continue on. Among whom also, verse 3, this is Ephesians 2, verse 3, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. So you can see how this energio, or there is this energy that the flesh will move in and will gain certain, um, a certain movement to go in that way, and will we'll gain this, this perpetual thing that it continues to move presently in their life, continually. It's, it's, it's a movement, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Now, you, you don't have to look too far to see that. It's everywhere. And we're by nature children of wrath or children of desire. You know, you have this desire, that desire, I want to do this, I want to do that. And then they do that and they fulfill that and they're moving in something different than what God would have for them. So they are children of wrath, children of character, children of, uh, of the evil character, children of strong passion to do something, you know, whatever that may be that enters into their heart, to go that way. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, and in your life, if you would look back some years, maybe some of you 10 years, maybe 5 years, 
maybe 20 years, maybe 30 years. And you can see your life moving a certain way back then. And then God intervened. You heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Something transpired in your life to where he touched you. He changed the course that you were on. You were walking according to the course of this world. But because God somehow came to you and intervened, now he sets your course in a different way, in a different direction. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we, when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. So for me, I'll, I'll relate this to my life. So there I was in frustration. There I was in dissatisfaction for certain, in certain things in my life, and that's where I was living. And lo and behold, someone came and preached the gospel to me, and somehow, some way, I knew in my heart that that was right. And so I received Christ, I went his way, I went to him, and the course that I was on was radically changed. I didn't realize it at the time, the radical change that was going to transpire in my life in 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. Didn't realize it. But he has made us alive in Christ Jesus. So when you go out into the world, you go to your job or wherever you may be, and, and you look around, there are people that are physically alive but they are spiritually dead. They have not been made alive in Christ because they have not responded to the gospel like you have. So thank God he has intervened in your life and he has made you alive in Christ. Verse 7, or verse 6. And he has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly. The, the word places here is in italics in your Bible. And that means that the translators added that word. But if you look at the word and you look the word up, he has made us to sit together in the heavenlies. And that means related to the purpose of God. See, Jesus came to earth and he functioned according to the purpose of the Father. And he rose from the dead, he ascended, you know, all that we know. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he has done something in your life so that now you can be seated there, not physically and not necessarily with that authority, but you are sitting there as if you are now like Jesus has been in the purpose of the Father for your life. So he has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenlies. That, the heavenly, that which uh, comes to us, that which is from, what is from God, the purpose. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. You are a work of the Lord. Uh, you are his product. 
See, he is at work if you are surrendered to him and if you're going to go in his way and walk in his way for your life. Then you become a work of the Spirit. You become a product of God. He does certain things in your life. He takes certain things out, replacing them with certain characteristics of Jesus. And the work continues. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. What are good works? See, he doesn't say works here. He says good works. You'll see this in various places in certain epistles where it talks about good works. But what are good works? Good works are that which is done in the will of God, that which is done not according to human energy. Remember, there is an energio that is moving the children or the sons of disobedience and the children of wrath. And there is an energio that is to be moving you in the will and purpose of God. You are to be surrendered so that he can push that energio through you, that work. So, what makes a good work good? That there are people who do works, and it may benefit others, but if it's human energy, it's not going to benefit them. Good works are that which is done, you do, in the will of God, not according to human energy. And the third thing is that it is to be an extension of the character of Christ out through you. See, now that becomes a good work. That's what a good work is. So you are his workmanship. He wants to do these things in you, put certain qualities in you so that when all things are right, that this is a good work. Whatever it may be that you're involved in is a good work. See, just doing religious things is not a good work necessarily. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, not that we absolutely will walk in them, because there is such a thing as human energy. And you see that in Matthew 7, 21, 22, right in there. Have we not done all these wonderful works? So we should walk in these good works. Therefore, remember that, verse 11, that you were once Gentiles. This is a, I'd like to just spend more time on these verses, but I can't. Therefore, remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh. So in other words, Paul's telling these Gentiles that you were once Gentiles, but you're no Gentiles any longer, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, meaning the Jews. Verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. This is Paul's projecting back again where they, where they came from, where they were. They, were. they were, and we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Do you, do you know what the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania is? You know there are certain commonwealths in the United States? Comprised of the people, supposedly. <laughs> I say supposedly. In theory. 
But see, there is a commonwealth of Israel, and that is the prophets, and that which you see in the Old Testament spilling over into the New, you have these men of God who have had the work of the Spirit in their life and have acquired this wealth of God. They are the commonwealth of Israel. And now, we were strangers from the commonwealth of Israel and the covenants, but now, because you have come to Christ, you have available to you the commonwealth of Israel. And that's saying an awful lot. How would you like to have some of the wealth that Elijah or Elisha had? Well, you know, it is possible, and we should, to some degree, have some of these things. So he says, we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, and having no hope without God in the world. And this second, without, this is it's mentioned twice in this verse, without, without God. The second one, I'll just throw this out there, is, is the word atheos. It's, it's where you get the word, English word, atheist. And the basic meaning is godless. But if you look at the Greek meaning of this in this context, atheist or atheos means that they were without a relationship with God. It's not that they didn't believe in God. It's not, it's not saying that. It's not the, the original word doesn't mean that. So we made that, that uh, Greek word into what we, you know, the English definition we put on it. But atheos means without a relationship with God. See, and that's where we all were. That's where we all started, without a relationship. But God intervened in our life. Thank God. But now, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you and I, who were once... Far, far, far off. We were far away from God. Far away from the commonwealth of Israel. Far away from all that God had for us. All the blessing. All the richness. We have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's move on down to chapter 3. So in verse 1... He says, for this reason, and if you back up, he's talking about how the Lord is fitting everyone in. All those who are believers, uh, those who are following the Lord, in whom, verse 21, the whole building uh, being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together. And, And that means that You and I surrender our life to the Lord and walk with Him, and He does the work. That's a passive verb. See, the passive verb means that you and I receive the action. So in other words, you walk with the Lord, you move in His way for your life, uh, you surrender to Him, and He does the building. He builds this one, He builds that one. And he, he's going to bring us together, not just here in the church, but this, this, you'll see this in Ephesians where he talks about bringing all and in all. He brings, he's going to bring all this, a consummation of all this together. I don't understand it, but I, I see a little bit of it, bringing it all together. In whom you also, being built together 
for a, the King James says, a habitation. New King James says a dwelling place, same thing. That we would be a habitation of God in the Spirit. That God would inhabit you. Now, verse 1, chapter 3, Ephesians. For this reason, reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you. The dispensation uh, of the grace of God or the administration of the grace of God. A simple way to understand this is that, that God dispensed this grace to Paul. He's going to talk about that, what that grace is in specific. So I mean, he dispenses his grace to you in your life at certain time for certain things. To move you along. So there is a dispensation of grace. He dispenses that to you. Paul's talking about this dispensation of grace that came to him. Which God has given me for you. Speaking of the Gentiles. For that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already. The mystery. He made known to Paul the mystery. You know, you, you often wonder, why did God choose Paul? Why does he choose any man? Paul had a certain view or he had certain things that um, were done in his background that the Lord touched. And now he was able to establish church churches. He was able to write and to speak. The Lord chooses men and women for various things and gives them grace for that. He graces them. And actually, if you look, you can actually see it. You can see it. But there's times I see people and I can see the grace at work in them, in the purpose of God for their life. You can see the grace there. Verse 4, but which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. This, to me, I, I, I think this is absolutely astounding. As it is now have been revealed by the Spirit to his holy, prophets, uh, his holy apostles and prophets, that, now this is, this is the mystery here that Paul is going to say, this is why God dispensed this grace upon him. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. See, there was never any such thing in the Old Testament as far as the masses. Um, the, the Gentiles were not included in the covenant and in the, in the uh, promises for the most part. There were isolated people here and there. But as far as uh, the masses, they, they were not in the place that Israel was as far as uh, being able to be in this place where they, are, they were brought in, that they're in this place uh, where God uh, has given them the promises and the covenants. But he says, now this mystery now is being brought up that the Gentiles would be fellow heirs of the same body. Now, in chapter 1, 
Go back to Ephesians 1, verse 10. That in the, dis- in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. See, so he's talking here about the purpose of God overall to bring the Gentiles into this place and the Jews if they would if they would respond and whomever, whosoever will. Verse 7 of chapter 3. Of which uh, I uh, was made a minister in uh, King James, in the New King James, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Now, the two words in the English, effective working, is this energia. It's the energy, the working power uh, to become, in Paul's case, a minister. Now, Now, let me stop there a second. Do you believe that you have the Spirit of God in your life? Okay, the Spirit of the Lord in your life will guide you according to His purpose for you. So that if you move according to His purpose, whatever that may be, it it doesn't matter what it is, whatever that may be, if you move in that purpose, He will energize you to become a minister, not in the sense of, you know, a minister minister, a teaching. No, see, you can minister the gospel wherever you are to whomever. You don't have to have a license to minister the gospel. But you don't want to minister flesh. You don't want to minister to minister human energy. You want to minister as the Spirit of God works through you and energizes you. See, so that the, the energio is coming from the Spirit of God and that's pushed out through you. So you become a vessel. You become a minister of the gospel. Well, who am I? Well, it doesn't matter who you think you are. That's beside the point. You become a minister of the gospel. So he became a minister of the gospel, verse 7, according to the gift of grace. And there isn't a person here that, can't, that can say that they have not received grace. You have all received grace. And you are receiving grace for grace. The gift of grace given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, and I guess Paul felt the same way. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints. Did you ever feel that way? That you're the, the least of everybody. This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches. The riches that cannot be fully comprehended. We can see, we can see some of it. And thank God we see some of it. But we're not going to fully see that richness. Maybe we'll get an idea of it later on the other side. And to make all see what is the fellowship 
of the mystery. The word fellowship here means the arrangement. What's the arrangement of this mystery? The mystery of the Gentiles being able to come in uh, to this place, uh, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus. So there is, there is a plan here. There is an arrangement of God. He has a purpose and arrangement for everyone. Then he has a purpose and arrangement on an individual basis for you and I. And, and it will take this energio of God to move us into and to cause us to function and to move in that personal purpose for us. Well, has the Lord ever had you do something that you said, well, I can't do that? Well, some of you young ones will find out. You'll say, I can't do that. That'll be your, your first thought. Or I don't want to do that. So you make a choice. Am I going to follow the Lord and move in his purpose? Or am I going to go my own way? Or am I going to just do something in, you know, in, in Christianity that looks good, that's based on human energy? So the Lord has led me to go to the jail. Now, I don't know about these other fellows that go. But I don't, I'm not always real excited about going. And so I, I have a choice to make. And my choice is I will go. I've told the Lord that years ago. I will go wherever, whatever. And so I get up. I don't feel like going. I get dressed. I don't feel like going. I get up there and I'm in a lobby. I don't feel like going in sometimes. But see, if I'm moving in the purpose of God, there is this energio that the Spirit of God, it's there. And as I, as I walk, it will come through. It will come out. And that's what happens with us, I believe, up there. The Spirit of God moves. So it's not about what we necessarily want to do or what we like to do. It's about the purpose of God for our life. Go back to Ephesians 1, verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will. Well, you know, that's really good to know what it is that we are to do in this life. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. See, he has a purpose. And the Lord has purposed in himself a purpose for you. Verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined, or it's been predetermined, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So it's good to know that the Lord is on your side. And it's good to know that it doesn't matter who you are, the Lord has a purpose for your life. And many times we see a little bit of it, and it unfolds as we continue on. Moving in, the, in that, <clears throat> excuse me, and walking with him. 
verse 11, chapter 3. According to the eternal purpose which he uh, accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Verse um, 14. For this reason, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you bow your knee to the Lord today? And I don't mean kneeling down at church. Spiritually, do you bow your knee to Him in your life? Meaning that you are surrendered to the Lord and you want His will and purpose And you have determined today that you are going to walk in no matter what it is. Well, I'll walk in your purpose if I like it. No. You think the apostles wanted to leave their nets and and follow Jesus? You think they wanted to to do certain things? You think they wanted to be, uh, what is it, the off-scouring of the world? Isn't that the, the word used in the King James? That's beside the point. See, to have Christ-like character, you're not going to get that on the sail rack. You're not. See, it's going to, it's going to, to mean that you have to, to direct your life according to his will, his purpose for you. And there's a lot of good times in it, too. I don't want to make it sound negative. It's not negative. It's good. There's nothing better to, than to have the richness of Christ to some degree in us. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. Verse 15, from whom the whole family uh, in heaven and earth is named. Now, Paul begins this this prayer here for the church um, here in Ephesus. And, uh, of course, it spills over to the church in general. And as I said in the very beginning, Paul begins with where we were. You know, we we once walked according to the course of this world. We once were the children of wrath. We once were one of the sons of disobedience. This is where we were, but you have been uh, made alive. So he goes on. So now he's going to pray for those there, all of them, and for you and I, same thing, Because we're going to need it. We need to move along a certain path to obtain certain things that God has for us. Not everybody does. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now, this is a a wish or a prayer that Paul prays. Of which the fulfill, fulfilling, I'm kind of paraphrased, the, the fulfilling of it is doubtful. That's the, that's the old uh, verb, mood, that went out of use. There's only, it's only used a couple times in, in the, the Bible, two, two times in Ephesians. So, now listen to me. What Paul is saying here in the, in the verses that we're going to read here, He's saying or praying, and he knows that for the most part, most people, most Christians, will not come into these things. Now, that's 
That's pretty sad. Why would that be? Well, because, as I said before, it's going to cost us certain things. And we have to go his way, not our own way. So let's, let's read and see what he says. That he would grant you, verse 16, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might. Now, I'm going to read through um, a couple, uh, not quite, a, a scripture and a half here, and then come back. That he might, um, where are we here? To be strengthened, verse 16, with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So, first of all, he's praying that they would be strengthened, and that is actually a passive verb, which means that they are going to receive this action, and the action is going to be from, from the Lord as they direct their life a certain way. They're going to receive, and the action actually is, is cer the certain, maybe the character of Christ, certain areas of that, um, the riches of Christ to a degree. See, that, that comes upon you, but it only comes upon you as you are walking a certain way. And he says here that you'd be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man for the reason or that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So when you got saved, you were placed in Christ. Then from that position, when we stay there and we walk with the Lord, then the process of Christ being formed in you takes place. That's what you see in Romans 8.29. You're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. See, that takes place, and we need to be strengthened with might in the inner man so that Christ would be formed in us because it will take the strength of God. It will, it will take you being strengthened in the inner man to stay in the test, to stay in the trial, to stay in a place maybe uh, that you don't want to stay or, or to do something you don't want to do. See, but the, the uh, I'm looking for a word here. The program is <laughs> that he wants Christ to be formed in you. This is not an automatic thing. That's why in verse 16 it says that he would grant you. Not mean that he will absolutely do that. It's, it's in the optative, which turned to a subjunctive, which is meaning it's possible. Let's say it that way. It's possible. It's not that he doesn't want to. It's that maybe a person isn't in the place that they are to be to receive the strengthening so that Christ can be formed in them. And I'll tell you, uh, I've gone through some things in my life, you might not believe this, but I've gone through some things just like you have. And staying in the difficult way, staying in the will and purpose of God will bring Christ-likeness. See, Christ will, will begin to be formed in you. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. See, if you don't have faith in him, faith that he would uh, work in your life, faith that, that he will strengthen you, faith that 
this energio of the Spirit of God will come through you. If you don't have faith, then you're not going to stay, for example, in a test or a temptation. You're not going to stay in it till certain things happen, till you pass the test, till certain things are developed. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may be able to comprehend. Now, I, I, I wish that I could take the word comprehend out of here. Maybe it's just because of me. Because when I, when I think of the word comprehend, I think about thinking. You know, you comprehend something. Isn't that how we mainly think of the word? But I actually looked that word up. And if you go online and you look up the word, it, it has another meaning. It means to embrace. But getting back to the actual meaning in, in, of the Greek word comprehend, it means to possess or to lay hold of. Not that you, you can comprehend it in your mind, but there's something here that we as Christians are to possess or to lay hold of that thing. See? That we may be able to possess with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. How are you going to know something that passes all knowledge? You know you can there will be things that you, you will have to catch in spirit. That's the only way you'll get it. You won't be able to figure it out. You won't be able to read the Bible and, you know, look at the verbs and look at this and look at that and look at ten translations. You're not going to come into and possess them in that way you will catch certain things in your spirit. And what I mean by that is that because of you moving in the purpose of the Lord for your life, he will deposit certain things in there, in your heart, in your spirit, that pass knowledge. They're past knowledge. You don't understand it. But then, as time goes on, uh, you um, you have a revelation of that, and you know. So there are things that we we will come to know that we might not be able to articulate too well at all. So th- so here, where are we here? Verse nineteen. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. So that there there is a vast vast area there. Uh, of knowing that most can't come into because they get tied up with their thinking, with their reasoning. And that's not how you get it. You you, you don't get certain things that way. Now, of course, God gave us a mind, thank God. (laughs) But that's not, see, spiritual things, if you go to college, you go to school, you learn in your mind and then you, you know what's in the book. God sets up everything different. See, he, he does it this way. It comes into your spirit, then you understand it in your mind to some degree. So, so there is a, a knowing that, that is there for us. <clears throat> but see, to be brought into that, where is it? Let me see here. Verse 1, chapter 4. 
Now, after he says all this, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. You see that? Paul had great wealth. He calls himself a prisoner of the Lord. So how, how dedicated was the apostle Paul? How surrendered was he? Wouldn't you say he was pretty dedicated? Wouldn't you say he was surrendered to a, a great degree? Well, I believe that to the de degree of our surrender and dedication will be, that will be the basis. That's just one area. There's other things too, but that will be possibly the basis for uh, our moving into a deeper place or the, the basis of this richness of Christ that's deposited in you. So he says, therefore, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So for you and I to possess some of the things here he's talking about and to function in the way that Paul is talking about here, where this energy, you are energized by the Spirit of God, not by uh, human energy, not by the energy of the power of the air, by Satan, but that you are energized. See, the functioning of that, uh, coming into certain things. As he says here in, in verse 1, if we are going to come into certain things, we need to walk worthy of the calling wherewith we were called. So you have a calling on your life. You say, well, I don't know what that is. That's okay. That's fine. If you walk with him and you continue on, you'll find out what it may be. But he has called you and you are to move in that calling, and you are to move in that purpose so that the Lord has the opportunity to do in your life what may be impossible for other Christians because of how they live, you know, what they do, what their priorities are, you know, and, and all that. So you are in this mystery, so to speak, as Paul's talking about. You have been brought in the mystery that God would include us in this commonwealth. Do you know that you are no longer a Gentile? You know that, right? We were all born Gentiles. Now listen, you were born a Gentile. But you are now a Jew in heart. The circumcision, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. And because of that, you may be included in this commonwealth of Israel. We are to be. So you are to acquire or to, as it says here, possess a richness in Christ as you continue on and walking with him in this, in this life. So that you can be brought into this commonwealth. 
so that maybe five years down the road, maybe two years down the road, the Lord can use you to touch another life and put them on this path to obtaining the riches of Christ. And I don't know about you, I think this is exciting. It may not always be exciting when we get up and we have to do certain things. But I mean, if you look past that and you see what the Lord is doing and you, you start to get involved with what he's doing, you know, in the good works or you know, what he's doing in your life and you see certain things he wants to do, it, it, this is just, it's such a tremendous privilege for us today to be involved with this plan of God, this purpose of God. And, and may we not be overwhelmed, and may we not, put it this way, may we not be overwhelmed to the point where we walk away from the Lord, but may we direct our heart toward Christ and allow Him to have His will and His way so that each of us can fulfill the purpose for which we were born.